So really, really we were, well, look at where we're up to and then talk about what we'll do today. Because some, some of these topics I think really I need more, more work on. We spoke last time about Veasula hem tzitzis, um, make them tzitzis. And um, we also spoke about the idea of freedom in the night, the, the freedom of the night, mm -hmm. and the idea that The idea that with tzitzis, Rav Hirsch suggests perhaps the reason that tzitzis are a mitzvah that we choose with our own free will, meaning a man doesn't have to wear a garment that has tzitzis, so he has the choice of whether or not to wear the garment. Rav Hirsch says probably so that you should first feel the need for it yourself and so grasp the means with all the more joy. This was this, it's really the same idea as the freedom of the night. The idea that the question, an answer without a question doesn't come close to the power of an answer that follows the question. So the fact that a person feels a need, realizes they could stumble, realizes there's a Yetzirah, realizes there are temptations, and, none, and then he will say, I have a need. I want help to be able to control myself, and then he has the option of putting on tzitzis, that is, that's something that, you know, he, who would not rejoice in that the precept itself was given to him as a cogent help? Anyone would rejoice, but of course anyone would rejoice only if they feel the need. You don't rejoice in a mitzvah if you don't feel the need for the mitzvah. So there are different ways we feel need for mitzvahs. This one's pretty, pretty much clear. We spoke about the idea that tzitzis are that which peaks out or that which sprouts out from one plane to another. It's a, it's a reaching out of something from the plane it's in and reaching out tendrils into another plane. So the tzitzis themselves move from the, the defined space of the beged, the garment, um, out into the space beyond the garment. And they also visually and mentally, they, you see the tzitzis and you remember that they came from another plane, you remember all the way back up to Kisei Kavo that Hashem is there, he's watching, he's made seats, he's peering through the cracks. Um, and that the string itself, Reish Lakish describes in the Gemara that whoever is busy with Torah at night Hashem draws down to him a chut shel chesed, a string of chesed in the day, which again is the savoda of the night. The person who's toiling in the nighttime when it's difficult to see, the chesed that's created in the night, uh, in the night becomes visible in the day, this string of chesed that moves from one plane to another, from one level to another. And the medrash, which is brought, the Chavetz Chaim brings it, Senor Renner brings it, that the string of tzitzis is like a, is in representing the mitzvos is a lifeline. That Hashem th 
throws this neshama into the world and says, hang on to the mitzvahs. Hold very tight to the mitzvahs. This is your lifeline. This keeps you connected to Hashem. And the lifeline of mitzvahs literally holds us and attaches us. Okay. Now, the next words are al-kanfei vigdehem l'dorosam on the wings or the corners of the garment for their generations. And then the next section is v'nasnu al-tzitzis ha-kanaf And you should put on the tzitzis of the corners psil t'cheles, a string of blue. So I think that in terms of discussing, there's, there's one topic which I had thought about talking about today, but I think I'm going to push it off, partly because we don't have a second follow-up before Pesach, and it'll split it up too much. Um, could be over Pesach. It's also an interesting time to talk about it, which is some of the questions that, were op- that w- are opened up here, which is, well, if all of this applies to men and women, then how does it apply to women if women don't wear tzitzis? So we really have just kind of let that question stand and hold um, like I said, I don't feel quite ready to talk about it. I do think that some of the events of the last, the last week and the last few months, um, both in Harnofa and in New York, I think are indicative of this kind of um, significance of the men's and women's roles together mm-hmm. in creating homes and um, elevation in light of Torah and mitzvot, but I think, number one, it's soon to try and talk about it. Um, there is a common theme there. And second of all, I think there's just more for me to learn about the, the significance of women being absolved from time-bound mitzvot and how that plays out on many different levels, um, practically but also emotionally and also spiritually. So what I think we'll do instead is talk about this bridge, this bridge between the tzitzis on the corners of the garment, l'dorosam, for the generations, which is interesting. It may take me a little jumping around to find all my sources because it's not exactly the same order I was going to do them. Um, tzitzis are for our generations. What does that mean? What does it mean? Uh, why this versus any other mitzvah? <laughs> and why is it that tzitzis, which are optional, should be put on the corners of a garment for their generations? And how does this lead us into the ideas of techelis, into the ideas of you will see them and you will remember all the mitzvahs of Hashem and do them and not stray? Okay, where, where do the generations come from? can see that <laughs> as we go forward, um, you're going to have to tell me which things I already said because I'm going to say things out of order now, which is not such a problem now because you haven't heard them, but when I start saying them again in a month from now, review is, good. Review is always good, but even so, okay. There's a lot of thumping and, oh my 
myself. No, they're really okay. Okay, one thing, and I'm not... The visual for people who are not here to see it. She's got Xeroxes and Post-it notes and even Napkins. ideas written on a napkin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a secret. If it's a yellow post-it note, I probably wrote it in the car. <laughs> the stripy post-it, white post-it notes are in the house. Okay. So I must have put this somewhere else, which is interesting because it should have been obvious it was here. All right. Let, I, I, I want to go back to this reverse, which is kind of where we came from. There's two aspects to reverse that we're going to do here talking about tzitzis for the generations. So let's take step one. Step one, let's say, we don't analyze English like we analyze Hebrew, but let's let the words trigger something and make us realize, hmm, if we were translating this out of Hebrew, we would have heard something. Tzitzis should be on the corners of the garment or the wings of the garment for generations. What's a generation? Generate actually means to grow or to create or to sprout, which takes us back to the idea of tzitzis, which says maybe we missed one point here. When we talk about tzitzis and we talk about something which is in one plane and it can reach outward and grow outward into another plane, this is the idea of the word tzitzis itself. That was last session. Then in the same way that a tzitz, like tzitzis we said is like a sprout, right? Some, a plant that sprouts out of the ground and seeds is to peer through one place and, and be able to see out into another, then really we are talking about an aspect of tzmicha, of growing. Now, people, there's a, I heard Rabbi Tatz say, quoting the Leshem, who I think was the grandfather of Rav Yashiv, he was a, a great Kabbalist, that humans and vegetable life, right? There are different levels of life in the world. There's domain, the inanimate, tzomeach, which is the vegetation. Tzomeach is characterized in that it can grow. Domain doesn't change. Tzomeach can grow. Chai has a higher level of soul. That's an animal, so it can also transport, locomote. And midaber, uh, which can speak, is a higher level soul. That's human. So the Adam and the Tzomeach, the man, the speaker, and the Tzomeach, the vegetation, he says, are actually like, uh, they, they work along the same meridian. So the Tzomeach, the vegetation, its source and nourishment and nutrition is below, and it produces upward. So the fruits sprout upward. People, our source, our nourishment is above. And the payros, the fruits, what we produce, we see downward in this world. So it's as if we're along the same meridian, but we're facing in opposite directions. Which is a very, very fascinating idea. He takes it in a few different directions, Rabbi Tatz. Uh, well, all along that meridian, but <laughs> a few different. Right? But this idea alone, because we've talked about man is a tree of the field, right? This idea that 
tzitzis, tzitz, the plant, the flower, and in fact the garment of the tzitzis reflects this in sprouting downward, right? We wear tzitzis, which is a, like hair, it's, for us it goes down, and it will hang down, whereas a tree or something like that, except for like weeping willows, I don't know, you know, like they basically, they sprout and it goes up, okay? So this is like a different, it's a different direction, but they, they teach us about each other. Mm -hmm. This idea that you can be, your life is really in one plane, even though your, what you produce comes out into a different plane visibly. A tree, if you cut down the whole tree, but the root system is still in place, it can still be alive and it can still produce because its life is really under the ground in a plane where you can't see it. Okay. By the way, Rabbi Tatz gives a pattern for this, which we will recognize from the concept of freedom of the night. Okay, because like if we're looking at plants and people from the perspective of standing in Olam Hazeh, what we see, right? <clears throat> so he says, Olam Hazeh, this world, this post-sin, non-idealized state, non-ideal state is like the tree. It takes a long time to grow. It's not easy. It develops very slowly. There's no taste in that tree. It should be, right? The trees were supposed to produce eights pre osepri. But instead, what we see is it's bark. I mean, it's not something you'd ever eat. It's not something until finally, 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 after pushing against the dirt and pushing its way out and years and years of production, finally you get a fruit, which is beautiful and sweet. Olam Haba, the perfected world, is a world where the taste of the tree and the taste of the fruit are the same. So it's beautiful, it's sweet, it's immediate. There's no like waiting for something else down. Now he says, what is this about the fruit then? If we're talking here about that, the, the tzitzis as an expression of pushing out from one world and reaching into another, and that there's a fruit, a produce that's produced at that distal end, right? What fruit is, is where the power of the future is the power of the destiny. It's in the fruit that there's the seed. It's not just that you enjoy the fruit. The fruit is the container of the seed for the future, for producing more fruit. You see how we really are closing in on Lodorosam, right? Mm -hmm. Wasn't just, <laughs> okay, I have to remind myself also. <laughs> yeah, okay, this is the power of the future and the fact, so even when a tree tastes like the fruit, that doesn't make the fruit valueless. The fruit is still the seed from which is born a future generation of tree. So in the perfect world, you'll recognize this from Rav Hirsch, the idea that itzavon, that the, the outcome of the sin in Gan Eden was the fact that the important things, the things that are, that are meaningful to us, that we work towards, might require some difficulty in the working. We might have to sweat by our, from our brow in order to harvest bread. 
right? But in the ideal world, in the Ghanaian world, you're hungry, you eat. So when we think about that now in terms of the fruit and the tree, and whether the tree has flavor or not, if the perfect tree is a tree where you could enjoy the taste of the tree as well, what that means is that you can have eternity and long-term pleasure without sacrificing the pleasure now. But that's not the Olam Haze we live in. We have to recognize that our trees don't have a sweet taste. The fruit does. And the fruit is sweet, and it's worth enjoying, and it's worth cultivating, and it's also that which will last forever. Okay. This is something we think about a little bit, right? In davening, after Birchos HaTorah, we say a little selection of verses from Torah, Shebikhtav, and then we say something from Mishnah, and then we say something from Gemara. Right? So what do we say? We say, Actually, it's not, I mean, is it Gemara? It could be, it's also Mishnah. These are the things which a person can eat the fruits in this world. Without damaging the capital or the, the vine, the, the trunk in the next world. Right? It's, a, it's where, do you, where you, when you've done your mitzvahs, the Karen is in the next world. That's actually where you've planted your trees is not here. It's there. The eating the fruit is here. It's a funny, right? This is where you see results of what we've done. Mm-hmm. But the real value is in that world. And yet the seeds of it are here. The fruits of it, which is where we again take seeds to plant, mm-hmm. is here. And that's what will propagate down. So let's see a few places, kind of taking Rabbi Tatz's words as the background and then using them to help us understand some of what Rav Hirsch teaches. Um, one last thing from Rabbi Tatz. After the chet, you have in particular is chita, which is related to the word chet. Chita is wheat, right? And this, this starts to close in on our relationship with food altogether and bread. It's particularly in the wheat. It's particularly in wheat and, and bread that we see the effect of sin because it used to be hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. We still say this bracha. God takes bread out of the ground. We don't experience that. We see wheat come out of the ground. That's because our wheat now is only seed and no fruit. It's all seed and no fruit. What does it mean if it's all seed and no fruit? It means I have to make a choice. I can enjoy it now, or I can plant it and have even more for the future. In the wheat is encapsulated the entire concept of what changed with the sin. You got to choose. You want to enjoy it this minute? Or do you want to work with it and put in the work? And down the line, you'll have something more eternal. Okay. You can't have it all. Or at least not all at once. That's, that's really Rav Hirsch's definition of Yitzavon, even though he doesn't quote Rav Hirsch. Okay. So now I want to read to you a summary. This is from Rav Hirsch. Um, I think he's talking about Tu He is talking about Tu 
can see how long I've been working on preparing this, by the way, by the fact that I'm coming out now in Nissan with Tubishvat. It's never too late. Nissan, you know, Tubishvat led to Purim, which led it's to Pesach. Connected. It's all connected. Okay. All right. It is, however, Nissan where we start seeing the results of what happened on Tu Because we talked about this this year, I think, at Tu right? We talked about what happens on Tu The sap starts to flow within the trees. They still look dead, but deep inside of them, something's moving. And Nisan is when the flowers come out, and that's the typical time, like Rabbi After said, for making the bracha, for seeing the blossoms, because you start to see the effect. But it happened at Tu Okay. Here's Rav Hirsch, Collected Writings, Volume 2. The Jewish mind and Jewish heart cannot be stirred early enough or too often by bright thoughts of spring. These thoughts and feelings, in turn, are to lead to constructive action. So it's like, going to read that again. Again, in light of what Rabbi Tatz said about the tree versus the fruit, the Jewish mind and Jewish heart cannot be stirred early enough or too often by the bright thoughts of spring. These thoughts and feelings, in turn, are to lead to constructive action. Ki ha'adam eitz ha'sadeh, that's from a verse in, in Sefer Dvarim, I think in Kiseitze maybe. Man is a tree of the field. Man develops akin to a tree. The unthinking observer considers the day on which the leaves of the blossoms <clears throat> finally give way to the emerging fully ripened fruit as the birthday of the trees. Thinking man, Azil Basar Hanata, inquires about the time of budding and researches the process which leads to the buds first stirring within the tree. In other words, the tree is not born when the fruit starts coming out, the tree is born through this long, dark, invisible on the outside process of spring is coming. <laughs> the 15th of Shvat, I, I left out and I'm jumping ahead. The 15th of Shvat is the new year of the trees, the birthday of blossoms even in the middle of the winter. This is familiar again, right? <laughs> We're back to winter, to dark, to... Think of him and experience joy and adulation with your God. In other words, this goes back to what he said about being stirred early and often by bright thoughts of spring. Not because you feel the spring, but because you can look ahead and know there will be a spring. When the season changes and thousands of buds and blossoms herald the arrival of spring, we celebrate with jubilation not only God's festival of nature's reawakening, but the divine festival of our own spring. But in the midst of winter, Jewish wisdom points silently to the defoliated trees. Behold, today they are celebrating the birthday of the coming spring. Under the torn, dark, cold bark, new fresh life pulsates. A powerful lesson emerges from this truth, from the announcement of spring, from the lips of the trees still covered by the snow-white shrouds of winter. Men are bent by sorrow, bent by pain and grief. They had harbored beautiful dreams of their future, proudly wearing the crown of their efforts, intoxicated with the unlimited power of their might and deeds. A violent force robbed them of their fruit, and the storms of life smashed their flourishing hope and joy, destroyed the glitter of their society, broke the halo of their power and might, and left them poor and defenseless. 
I don't know why he wondered about prophecy. The storms of life still shake their existence and rob them of their fleeting accumulation of wealth, riches, and precious metals. The crown of their pride was broken, and they were left naked and poor. Not a single blossom is within sight. No greenery heralds the coming of a new future. They fail to look within themselves to realize the source from which all help emanates and where hope, strength, and life blossom. On the 15th of Shvat, on the birthday of spring in the midst of winter, leave your homes, shaken by winter storms and tempests, and behold the trees on the day of their birthday. Recall the beauty and harmony of their appearance, decorated with fruits of crowns of leaves, branches, and twigs. Winter robbed them of their fruit and colorful leaves. The storms broke branch after branch, twig after twig, leaving the trees covered with shrouds of ice and snow. Yet lashed by the storms and fury of the season, they celebrate today their silent inner rebirth in defiance of nature's onslaughts. What did the trees lose? Of what were they deprived? The fruits of which they were robbed would eventually have fallen. The leaves which they had lost had already withered. The twigs and branches broken by the storms were already dry, brittle, and lifeless. But their inner core remained alive and fresh. They will always weather the storm as our people will survive the nocturnal terrors of our historic night. Their strength was not located in the transient part of the trees, the rustling crown or adornment of branches, twigs, and leaves. Their foundation was in a place where weather and storms do not reach. No commentary required. What I will do is um, put next to it what I believe is very similar message that he gives, but that connects now with tzitzis from the other direction. This is tzitzis from the direction of the plant life sprouting. And here's tzitzis al kanfe vigdehem, on the corners of our garments. So the corners, that's the four corners, that's the boundaries, the limitations, ledorosam for all generations. Tzitzis on the corner of the garments for all generations. Guard yourself against immorality. Immorality is so abominable to God that it brings tuma upon a man and a country. The land in which lewdness increases vomits out the corrupted inhabitants. Hearkening back to Vahaya Im Shamoa, right? Therefore, guard yourself against immorality. Avoid everything which borders upon it, which leads toward it. Right there, you have the structure of the tzitzis. The borders and that which leads to the borders. You're choosing. Tzitzis is about choosing. What am I going to look at? Where will it lead me? Into what borders will I will, Into what borders will I behave and place my actions? He's saying it here in the negative, right? But, but this is what tzitzis is about. It's exactly the correction. It is the positive action that is the opposite reflection of what he just said. Guard yourself, avoid everything which borders upon it and which leads towards it. This is the, the, looking at tzitzis from the other side of the picture. This is what God calls to you 
And happy are you if you listen to his call, if you follow his call and keep far away from every approach to immorality. The animal within you awakens easily, and then you will have a difficult battle or you succumb, and then you have forfeited your greatest treasure. This is something we, we talked about, again, this idea of um, using the seichel in Shema as a whole, making decisions not only in the moment of the either physical or emotional pull. That's obviously very important. But even better is saying, I have fallen, what can I do? How can I use my mind and Bechira to plan so that it won't happen again? And in particular, this has a relevance to morality. We'll see that as we get to the words, Asheratem zonim achareihem. Zonim means to follow after, but it's also like, like zona, right? Like a prostitute, it means immorality. Okay, this Not this chapter, but one here, two before, is called zenus. Zenus is immorality. Okay, so this important, this happiness to have the means to make a decision that will allow me to protect my greatest treasures, my greatest happiness, by choosing what I look at, where it will lead me, into what box will it lead me, where am I set putting myself. Be afraid of the animal in you. Fear for your future. When you catch yourself able to see and hear lewd things without shame bringing a blush to your cheek. And avoid associating with those whose shameless speech makes you blush. They are murderers of shame. When we get to the Zoni Maharehim and Ritzashem, we'll talk more about the interaction between the murder and the immorality. If you do not control the servant, you will certainly soon become the slave to it as master. It's talking about the power of imagination. If you don't control it, it will control you. Therefore, avoid everything which may excite or contaminate your imagination. Listen to the teachings of your fathers, and if you love life, then follow it. This idea, this particular idea that says, before we even talk about, he talks about it after, before we even talk about whether listening or looking at something is forbidden, or not. Let's think about it in terms of the third paragraph of Shema. It happens to be some of these things are actually forbidden, mm -hmm. even if they are not themselves in a moral relationship, just the looking or the listening or the seeing. But Rav Hirsch is before that over here. He's saying, first of all, what do you look at? Where will it lead you? So that's one issue. But it's also what do you look at in your mind? Where will your mind be? If you watch that, if you listen to that conversation, if you read that, mm -hmm. now what are the images in your mind? What is the power of your imagination now turned to? Because the culmination of this paragraph is going to be, kedoshim be holy for God. Kedoshim is like kedushim. That means designated, set aside. Holiness means 
a sort of exclusive purpose. It is only used to this. It is sanctified for this purpose. You should be sanctified for God. That doesn't really happen if your mind is somewhere else. So a person can say, oh, I shouldn't look at this. I shouldn't look at that. I shouldn't read this. Why are you picking on me? So difficult. But again, what we talked about where this Amira Ne'ima, if, you, if Moshe will only explain to the people, right, in a pleasant way, they will be so attracted to the idea of tzitzis that they'll make the tzitzis, right? That was the Orachayim. This is what they're going to want. And it's kind of what Rav Hirsch was saying about tzitzis, right? Anyone who has struggled against his Yetzirah will be so delighted to discover the mitzvah of tzitzis as an opportunity for him. If a person wants to have a holy relationship with God, wants to feel that God is close to him, that one-on-one, -on -one, that closeness, then he'll say, you know what, as much as I want to read this, as much as I want to see this, as much as I want to hear this, just because it's fun and it's playful and it's, it feels good, it's not worth it because now my mind will not be open to a relationship I want even more. In the same way that a person commits in Kiddushin, not only in Shema, to be married to one person. And if they say, well, I don't love them any less even if I play around with somebody else. And maybe I'm not even having, I'm just flirting with them. I'm just joking with them. But the problem is that if your mind is there, your mind is not open and available to your spouse at the same time. So if you want to have that special close relationship, the, the desire for that can keep you from even wanting the other things. When you say like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but that's not. There's something I want more. Do not see, hear, read, think anything which will occupy your power of imagination impurely and make it familiar with impurity. They are the grave of moral purity. Even if done in merriment, hand-holding, eye-winking, embracing, and kissing are sinful because they tempt and provoke sin. Save yourself the battle. That, this is a sum-up of tzitzis. A sum-up of this whole paragraph, which was, I've been there, I've sinned, I've gone wrong, I was ejected from the land, I've struggled my way back. Someone who has been there says, I would like to be saved the battle. And you know what? You hope that what he's begging, like, listen to your parents. Why, why do you have to make the same mistakes? <laughs> right? Do we all have to make the same mistakes? We can't look in the Chomish and read about Yosef and say, yeah, it was worth it. You know, if we knew we would get written up like a Yosef, wouldn't it be worth it? Yeah, we'd be so excited to be spoken about the way people speak about Yosef, that it would give us the strength not to give in to Mrs. Potiphar. But in God's book, we could still be written up like a Yosef, right? Even if it's not going to be in the Chumash where everyone else sees it, how badly do we want that? And if we want it, then we want to save ourselves the battle. We want to do some advanced planning. Why do I have to go there? The most beautiful ornament of a woman is modesty and moral purity. Do you see now why Rav Schwab had indicated that tzitzis, the woman's equivalent, is her tznias? 
is her garments altogether as a whole, not just any particular one. This should also be apparent in her attire and her demeanor. The purpose of your clothing should not be to make yourself noticeable. It's modest covering. Not everything which fashion decrees is good. If your greatest treasure is precious to you, listen to the call of the Torah. I'm, just, I'm skipping a little bit here, so for whoever's not here, hopefully. He said, even if others, the coteries of the impure, reject you, let them mock you. It's better than that God should reject you from his holy proximity. It's a message of Shema, right? It's better than that God, the all-holy God who has summoned you to holiness, should be angered against you. Lewd thinking is not forbidden only because it leads to sin. In itself, without anything more, it makes the spirit and mind incapable of anything nobler. It robs the body of its powers, enervates it by exciting it, and squanders powers which are under the seal of the covenant of Abraham. Do you wish to murder your whole future for the sake of satisfying a moment's lust? Do you wish to kill the divine within you for a moment of pleasure? Have you never felt God's holy nearness when that which was noble, that which was great and pure and divine, animated your inward self? Have you then never heard his voice wandering in the Eden of your inner world? But his holy nearness flees where lewdness enters, and then you seek his voice in vain. And if you find it, you find a wrathful voice of an offended father. Be strong, remain holy. It's an unbelievable lesson. And it's so the opposite of what we somehow manage to convey to our kids, it seems like, right? Or at least as a society, there's this feeling of restriction and restriction and restriction instead of holiness and holiness and holiness. If you want to have, you know, a if you want to have a delicious soup, don't fill the pot with dirt. I mean, it sounds so stupid, but it's so... Basic. It's what you put into it, and it's all going to be mingled there. Rav Moshe Feinstein, someone once asked him, and I, at the, when I first heard this, I was like, well, it sounds good, but... Someone asked him, so how do you get Das Torah? Like, how come you're Das Torah? When you say something, that's called Das Torah, the opinion of Torah. Das Torah means not what someone's opinion of the Torah is. It means that when this person spoke, that was the opinion of Torah speaking. Okay? It is a very small version of Hashem saying, Pel peh, you know, mouth to mouth, I speak to Mo uh, in Moshe. Adaber bo, I speak in him. When Moshe opened his mouth to speak, God was speaking through him because Moshe didn't speak a bit from his own ego. So in a very small way. So Rav Moshe apparently answered, that's what they say, he said, if only Torah goes in, only Torah comes out. I don't know if that's a true story or not. But it made a very big impression on me, but it was difficult to understand what do you do with that then? It's like only Torah goes in? What does it mean? It's like, what, like an empty bucket, you know, you pour it in, you pour it out. But there is this idea that the more that what comes in is holy then those ideas and those patterns of thinking are imprinting and imprinting and imprinting in our minds, in our brains, physically also. And then those are the patterns that our brains will turn to and review and copy and recognize. Mm -hmm. That's what's familiar. 
that's the way our thoughts will run. And so we will get results that look a lot more like whatever came in. It doesn't mean that if an odd, stray idea comes through, we won't be able to recognize that and say, you know what, no, it's not for me. But it does mean that the more we are particular about what we put in, not because we're snobs, but because I have some concept of what I want to see coming out, what I'd like to be, who I'd like to be, who I'd like God to think I am, then I'm going to try and make that what I take in. That is a building of my inner world. He applies it also to our actions. He says the statement, never have time to sin. In other words, the actions that you keep yourself occupied with are also what you will tend to do. And you just plain fill your time. You don't leave, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. You leave too much empty space, it will get filled with something. Probably, I don't know, nowadays, <laughs> I think we have a, also a different problem, which is it might get filled with nothing. It's also a problem, okay? Let your spirit never rest. And if your eye and your imagination wish to lead you astray, then lead them to your task and the law of life. That's tzitzis. Lo sasuru acharei levavchem v'acharei eneichem asheretchem zonim acharehem. Don't let your eyes, don't let your heart, your imagination pull you astray. If they do, because they do, <laughs> when they do, lead them back to the word of God and the word of your fathers, to the Torah. And that's tzitzis. You find the string, you're hanging on to it, and you follow it back up, and look, there you are, back at the begot again. The way of Torah can fill you and leave you no time for vulgarity and sinking low. Be you holy, for I am holy, the Lord your God. And, which I think I read before, he says, how will we ever get back the grasping for God and for life? The glow for everything that is good and noble and divine. Because when the immorality comes in, all of that withers away. It's not that it can't be rekindled, but it does wither away. He talks elsewhere about how this destroys whole countries. Okay. And if the young people are no longer models of sublime purity, although, God be praised, they are still better than others, if it be true that moral degeneration has begun within Israel, then who would not wish to be possessed of the flaming eloquence of the prophets, their moral power and divine mission, in order to stand in this breach and prevent that which still flowers from withering and to revive that which has withered? But whence can one expect the prophetic word, powers, and mission? He says, what a state of gullus is this? where we don't have Nevi'im to get up and call to us and help us get back. It's very hard to turn yourself around. And we don't want to keep rewinding to the middle of the Hayaim Shamoa. You know, every time you get back to Beisecha Visharecha, which is the key inside the home, right, what is going on in the home, and every time you have to go back again to Hishamulachan Penyiftelavavchan, like every time, how many times are we going to rewind before we go all the way forward? 
And in this third paragraph of Shema, we really see that we move into the final redemption on many levels. And this is, this is the paragraph of Yitzias Mitzrayim. Ani Hashem Elokeichem asher hotzeisi eschem me'eretz Mitzrayim lios lochem le'elokim. I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt, lios lochem le'elokim, to be for you a God. Ani Hashem Elokeichem. I am Hashem your God. Why does, it, why does he repeat it? One was Yitzias Mitzrayim. One is the coming Geula. I am Hashem your God. This third paragraph is the secret to getting to Geula. It takes us out of the recurring loop of Ahayim Shamoa so that we can finally close in on Leman Yirbu Yimechem Vimevenechem Al Ha'adama Asher Nishba Hashem Lavosechem Laseislahem. He's going to give our forefathers the land he promised them. Right? This is, this is the way to get there. But Rav Hirsch says it's a very difficult task because we keep rewinding and rewinding because we don't have prophets. Who will stand up? Who will have their eloquence? And who will have their eloquence with the divine mission behind them where everyone can see that they're not speaking for themselves but for God? And you know what he answers this? His next paragraph, daughters of my people, if you don't have prophets, and you don't have anyone who will tell you how to fix yourself. And the people keep getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And so it seems like this tree is withering and withering, which means losing its pleasure and losing its satisfaction. It's our own loss. The tree of Israel is not going to die. But a lot of the branches could get broken off in that harsh winter he spoke about regarding Tuvishvah. So he turns and he says, daughters of my people, according to the direction the century is taking, much is in your power. Be pure and chaste in body and heart, spirit and word, and then you have only to show your contempt for any young man who doesn't live up to the standard of moral purity, and for a second time Jacob's house will stand redeemed by its women's purity. Conduct yourself. Be a source of refreshment and strength in life's desert. Conduct yourself in true Israel spirit and Israel conduct, and then Israel's youths and maidens will once again bloom forth like the olive tree's blossoms and become once more the garden of God and his name's planting. There is a choice in Shema. In the end, that's what it's all about. It starts with a choice that's all sunlight. And it ends with all sunlight. I'm Hashem, your God. And there's nothing else. MS. That's, that's it. It's all there is. But between Shema or Kel Melech Naaman and MS, there's a process. And it, it does require that we fell. But, but okay, like, you know, been there, done that. Could we go on now? And could we go on means... I want so badly to be in a one-on-one -on -one dedicated relationship with Hashem. I care about His love more than anyone else's love. I care about His approval more than anyone else's approval. I look inside myself. He talks about looking inside yourself to hear God's voice. I look inside myself and I think, who do I want to be? What is the potential of what I could be? 
And I want that so much. I want my life to have meaning. I want my life to make a difference to myself and to others. And through that passionate desire for what is holy to become sanctified to God and him to us. That's MS. And that is, in the end, it's, it comes only from desire, not from legislation. The legislation is just the borders that keep you in, helps you out when you're not all inspired. But in the end, it really boils down to passion and excitement and free choice. And that's what will take us back to another redemption like Egypt multiplied hundreds of times over. And I think going into Pesach and going into redemption, Be'ezus Hashem, that, that's where we're going. Thank you.